Well, good morning. I would try and do one of those spin moves like Nate did, but I'm afraid I'd fall off the stage, so I'm not going to do that. Hey, this summer, I watched the HBO special on Chernobyl, and when that reactor first blew up, they kind of thought, oh, this is no thing. So they, they sent workers and firefighters on the scene, and, and those initial responders got exposed, got exposed in a big way. Well, they got sick real quickly. They shipped them up to Moscow in some hospital, and, and those first ones, they, they died pretty quickly. But as, as they were dying, they, their, their, their insides were being torn out by the, the radiation, but you couldn't get near them. Because they were radioactive. And at least on the, the special, they, they put them in a typical casket. <coughs> then they put them in some special casket. I don't know if it was lined with lead or what it was lined with. And then when they buried them, they covered them in cement. Because it was that toxic. The mess was that toxic. We know that describes us a little bit. We push back from God, and it's, it's a destructive mess that goes on inside of us. And, and it not only affects us, but it, it's toxic. It affects others. And so, what does God do with that mess? My mess and your mess. We're going to talk about that today. So, you've got a Bible. If you'd open it to Genesis 38, we're going to work our way all the way through this passage, and we're going to wrestle with this question what does Jesus do with our mess? What does Jesus do with our mess? So we've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and, and the quick overview is in, in Genesis 1 to 11, God creates and humanity pushes back. And it's most seen in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel that we're going to, people decide we're going to build a tower, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And God said, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think that's happening. And He disperses the people. And then He says to one man and his wife. And as far as we know, they were just happy pagans worshiping the moon god. Hey, I'm going to work through you, but I'm going to need you to follow me. And that man was Abraham, and his wife was Sarah. And they're the fathers of the nation of Israel. God said, I'm going to need you to follow me. Uh, I'm going to take you to a land you don't know, a place you don't know. But I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to multiply your descendants. But they didn't have a son. And they got to 190 years old before they had a son, and they had to wait 24 years, so there could be no doubt. This was a child of the promise. This wasn't something they were able to pull off. They were long since. Their childbearing was long gone. Well, that son's name was Isaac. Isaac married a lady named Rebecca. They had twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob was the younger, but God said, uh, because of my choice, I'm, I'm going to work the line of Israel through Jacob, the younger brother. Jacob was a mess. He was a deceiver. We've seen God work in his life. So we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now we're to the fourth generation. Jacob had two wives and two concubines. He had 12 sons and a daughter. And so that's the generation we're talking about. We're going to focus on one of the sons named Judah. And you need to know in, in the family, uh, Jacob had a, a favorite wife, the one he loved. Her name was Rachel. And she had trouble having children, and it took a while. And, and she eventually had two over time, Joseph and Benjamin. And they were favorites of the father Jacob. And in the chapter that happens before this, Genesis 37, the brothers got sick and tired of Joseph. 
and they decided they wanted to kill him because he was dad's favorite. But in the end, they decided, no, we'll just sell our brother into slavery. And in Genesis 37, verse 26 and 27, I want you to read whose idea it is. Uh, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us if we kill our brother, that's Joseph, and cover up our, his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brother listened to him. So it's Judah's idea, let's sell Joseph into slavery. We'll go back and we'll tell dad, hey, he died. He was tragically killed by a, a wild animal. And, and we'll profit from it. That's Judah's plan. And in the month of October, we will start talking about the account of Joseph. God raises him up to a place he ends up rescuing his family. But for now, what you need to know about Judah is he was willing to sell his own brother. He was jealous, wanted to get rid of him, wanted to profit from him. That's the kind of character we've got with Judah. So that brings us to our chapter in verse 38, and here's what it says. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. And she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son named Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah, and it was at Chezeb that she bore him. Judah marries a woman of the land. Her, his family's history has been to go back to where they came from. Now, they're living in modern-day Israel. Abraham, when he had Isaac for son, sent a servant back to modern-day Israel to find a wife for his son. Next generation, Jacob, he went back from southern Babylon to Israel to find his wife and found out to be his wives. Because God's desire that, that they would marry among themselves, among their people. Judah's not interested in submitting to that. Judah's going his own way. He's going to do his own thing. He's in rebellion to God. Now, please notice here that God is not concerned about ethnic differences, but He is concerned about spiritual differences. He wants us marrying people who believe the same about God. And what we believe is that God has revealed Himself, ultimately through Jesus Christ. And he shows himself in his word. And, and, and so we're encouraging people as they date and eventually marry, that they'd marry someone with the same spiritual beliefs. Judah doesn't want anything to do with that. So he has three sons by this woman. And the first one's name is Ur. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. And her name was Tamar. Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. We don't know what Ur did, but God judged him, and he took his life. God is gracious, and I'm going to talk about that. He's a rescuer. We sang about that. I'm going to develop that theme because it's certainly true here. But God is also holy and righteous, and he will judge sin. So Ur marries Tamar, God judges Ur and takes his life. We don't know how, but that's what he did. Now, Jewish law, 
at that time was such that women and children could own no property. So if you were a woman who wasn't married, or you were a woman without a son, you were in economic trouble. These women who had no heir, who had no son, had to resort to prostitution to make a living. So what God said in a family is, if your first son marries a woman and he dies, the next in line is to lay with her and conceive a child, and that, that son will be her, her son. And, and through him, the legacy will go on. That woman will have the protection of a grown son. That's God's plan so that women wouldn't be left vulnerable and wouldn't have to resort to prostitution. And in fact, later in the book of Isaiah, there are people who would prey on these women, who would take advantage of them. And God spoke out again. Isaiah 5.8 says, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room, that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. See, there, there were people that would prey on these women and, and they would take their property because they didn't have a son. And God says, woe to those people who take houses and take fields. They're taking advantage of the poor. God has a heart for the vulnerable. Woe to those people. So son number two has a duty to step up and conceive a child with this woman. And here's what he does with that charge. Verses 8 through 10. Then Judah said to Onan, go in to your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her. And raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So he went into his brother's wife. He wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he, God, took his life also. So God judges the second son, Onan. Why? Because he didn't perform his duty. He did not have intercourse with this woman. Instead, he masturbated. He spent his semen on the ground. And people say, did God judge him for his sexual sin? No. God judged him for greed and not taking care of the vulnerable. And so God takes his life because he would not lay with this woman. Why? Because he thought, if she doesn't have a son, that can be my land. I can be that person that preys upon the woman who doesn't have coverage. He doesn't want any part of that because if I conceive a child with her, that's her child. He wants nothing to do with that. So Judah has lost two sons, Ur and Onan. He's only got three. So here's what he does. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in his father's house. So there she is. Again, no, no coverage. Again, this is a different day, a different time. There's no social net. There's no safety net. Women and children don't have rights at this time. Now, after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to the sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Why? 
for she saw that Sheila had grown up and she had not been given to him as a wife. So she was counting on Judah to give her his third son. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to wait till Sheila grows up, but that didn't happen. Sheila's grown up and he hasn't been given to her as a wife. So you know what Tamar's resorting to? Prostitution. She's taking off her widow's garments and she's living the life of a prostitute. Okay, verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? What's, what's your price? I need to be paid for my services. He said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, moreover, will you give me a pledge until you send it? I'm, I'm going to give you goat, but I, I need something, Tamar saying, to make sure you're going you're to pay up with this goat. He said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your seal and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her, went into her, and she conceived by him. So this isn't going to be clandestine. This is going to become public. What then? What then? Well, here's what happens. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. So she's going back to her father's house. But Judah knows he's got to pay up for his services, so here's what he does. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adulamite to receive the pledge from his woman's hand, he did not find her. So here's the goat. He's going to get his rod and his staff and his stuff back. Can't find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, what is the, where's the temple prostitute who is by the road in Yam? But they said, there's been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, there's been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep them, otherwise we'll become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this young goat, we did not find her. So I'm not going to pay up. And, and I, don't, I don't want to really conduct a search, because what? I don't want people to know that I went into a prostitute. I'll, I'll be a laughingstock. No one wants to be known publicly for paying for the services of a prostitute. And Judah's like that. But remember, Tamar's conceived a child. And, and, and that's going to that's gonna come out. And here it comes. Then it came about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she's with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. She sinned. Let's, let, let's, let, I want judgment for that sin. Whoa, 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 whoa Judah, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're going you're gonna to judge the harlot, but, but you went into a harlot. Does that seem hypocritical? Judge her, but, but <laughs> not, 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 not me. So, I mean, it doesn't look good here for Tamar, does it? She's on her way to be judged, and here's what she says. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I'm with child by the man to whom these belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What did Judah just say that this woman needs to be doing? She needs to be judged. She needs to be burned. Judah recognized them and said, 
She's more righteous than I. He's been convicted. I, I wanted to judge her. And she's more righteous than I am. Inasmuch as I did not give her to my son, I did not have relations with her again. Judas is confronted with his sin. And he realized, I am who I am. I'm a sinner. And, and this begins a process. He is convicted of his sin, and, and, and he stops having relations with her. Uh, this is the beginning of God's work. We will follow Joseph's story through in the month of October. Uh, God will miraculously raise Joseph up to a, a place of leadership in Egypt. The family will come to him. They're, they're starving, and, and they won't recognize Joseph when he comes. And, and, and Joseph, to test the brothers, will plant his cup in Benjamin's sack. Now, now, Benjamin's the other brother that was Jacob had by Rachel. So, Joseph and Jacob. Now, now brothers think Joseph's dead, so then they can get rid of the other favorite child. But it's in these circumstances that Judah will step up and beg for Benjamin's life, telling about the grief of his father. And he's, he's telling Joseph, and he doesn't know it. Judah's a changed man. But it starts with God taking on Judah's mess. Remember we talked about the toxic mess of, of Chernobyl? Hey, you got it, and so do I. And, and, and it's going to kill us, and it's killing others around us. What do we do with that? Well, God steps in like he does with Judah, and he said, I'll take that. See, right before I got up here, we song, sang a song called Rescuer. You know why we sing that song? You and I, we need rescue desperately, desperately. But you know what? You're not alone, and I'm not alone. It, it goes all the way back to Judah and Tamar. It's the plight of humanity. We need rescue. We need someone to step in and take our mess. It's toxic. It's killing you. It's killing me. And we're killing others, others around us. So we're, we're wrestling with this question. What does Jesus do with our mess? Here's what I say. Uh, Jesus absorbs our mess and connects us with God. Jesus absorbs our mess and reconnects us with God. Let me read the, the end of this, and then I, I want to have, have us reflect on the whole passage. So, uh, verse 27, it came about the time that she was giving birth, that behold, there were twins in the womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth. One put out his hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread in his hand, saying, this one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand, that behold, his brother came out, and she said, what a breach you've made of yourself. So she named him Perez. Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was Zerah. And we have two twins buckle, um, fighting for prominence. Have we seen that before with Jacob and Esau? But again, I want to come back to Judah and Tamar. Let's talk about Judah. Sells his brother into slavery for profit. 
defies God by marrying a, a, a foreign woman. Won't watch out for his vulnerable daughter-in-law, Tamar. And he himself seeks out a prostitute. What kind of man is this? Do you know who he is? He's the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. That's who he is. See, so you think you've got to be perfect, you've got to be right to be a Christian. No, you don't. The history, the lineage of Jesus is full of sinners. So if you come in here and so you feel like I'm a sinner, join the club. It goes all the way back to the beginning of God's time. Matthew 1.3 gives the genealogy of Jesus. Could you show that in Matthew 1.3? I want you to look at the name. This is, this is from Jesus' genealogy. This is his line. Judah, we just looked at Judah. What kind of man is Judah? He was perfect. He had it all together. No, he didn't. Remember, he's the one who sold his brother into slavery. He's the one who defied God by marrying a foreign woman. He's the one who wouldn't care for a woman, his daughter-in-law, who was vulnerable. He's the one who sought out a prostitute. This is the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, let's keep going. Father of Perez is there by Tamar. What was Tamar? What, what did she just do? She was a prostitute. Oh, Andy, that, that's an outlier. I don't show it. But if you go two more verses in Jesus' genealogy, there'll be another lady named Rahab. You know what Rahab did for a living? She's a prostitute. That's the lineage of Jesus. That's God's family. Look, 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 here's part of the reason I don't think the Bible was, was written by humans. I, I think it was uh, inspired by God. If I'm writing this Bible, I'm not telling this story. If this is my family history, I'm keeping it out. But God's keeping it in. Why? Because he wants you and I to know if we're sinners, there's hope. That, that's what Jesus is about. Look, I, I had a, a dad who, who was angry. And it manifests itself all kinds of ways. But when I'm 16, we're up in Maine. We're, we're visiting uh, aunts and uncles. That, that's where my family's from. And his youngest sister, obviously my aunt and uncle, uh, her husband did super well in real estate and, uh, and insurance. And my dad was always jealous. Well, he got drunk that night. And it came out, his jealousy. And it, he's mad and he's leaving and he's stumbling drunk. I ain't never seen that from my dad to that point. And he wants to get the cars, and he's going to go. And my mom gets in the way. And I don't know if some of you, my parents are deceased, but some of you, my mom, my mom never weighed more than 100 pounds. She's a little woman. My dad on the way to the car took her and, and threw her down. Uh, later we found out she had a mild separation of her shoulder. Okay, here, here's the upshot of this story. The next day at breakfast, my dad apologizes. I was wrong to do that. I appreciate that. But then you know what he says? This is our secret right here. We, we, don't, we don't let that out. See, if, if God were like my family, this, this Judah, and, Judah and Tamar thing, shh, 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 we, we don't let that out. But that isn't what God's doing. He's saying the line of the Savior is filled with sinners, prostitutes, people who seek out prostitutes. That's not normally who we think of in a godly line. But God's broadcasting that. He's putting in His Word for generations so we can know that there is a way back to God. Oh, Andy, you don't know how bad I've sinned. You're right, I don't. But you don't know how bad I've sinned either. God does. And He accepts you as our, 
as you are. Mine is full of people who are a mess, of a toxic mess, and God steps into that and takes that. Would you receive, that's the gospel, the good news, would you receive the salvation that Jesus Christ offers? I was, went to undergrad and graduate school at Texas A&M, and my first year in graduate school, and the basketball games were kind of the funnest things to go. We had this small little coliseum, and uh, on this day, we're playing the University of Houston. This is 1983, so I don't know if you remember your basketball, college basketball history. This is one of the best teams ever. They were nicknamed by Slamma Jamma, and they would have won the national championship, the greatest upset in NCAA history, I believe. They lost in the finals. This team had two guys who made the NBA Hall of Fame, Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. They had three or four other guys who were first-round picks, a couple other guys second. And so we're playing them, and they are blowing us out. But we don't leave because, I mean, it is artistry to see these guys take off from the free throw line and dunk. And it's a nationally televised game. Now, at A&M, we had a a mascot, a collie named Reveille. And at halftime, the, the, the core guys, core cadets, would take a, a Frisbee and they'd throw it in. Reveille would run and catch it and they'd bring it back and they'd throw it again. And, and, and the crowd is just clapping away. Okay, so it's almost time for the, the players to come on. They're coming out, you know, they're kind of waiting. One more time, we're going to go Reveille. Reveille catches it and she trots back. But right about center court, she stops. She has to go to the bathroom. She leaves a mess. You with me? She defecates. There's a mess there. And everybody is just... I mean, the players are coming on the court. (laughs) 5,000 people in the Coliseum are looking at each other. What are we going to do about that? So that's about a minute and a half, two-minute pause. And here comes a custodian with one of those push mops. And he thinks she'll just push it off the floor. Well, that smears it, and at this point, I'm thinking, okay, this is why they make jokes about my school, right here. <laughs> Nobody wants to step into the mess. Well, the Corps of Cadets is there, and, and you know, you got freshmen who have to answer to juniors and seniors, and all of a sudden, some little freshman in the Corps runs out with some water and some paper towels, and he cleans up that mess. But I will never forget two-minute pause. No one, everything stopped because of that mess at center court. Only under orders did some freshmen in the Corps cadets step in and clean that up. Hey, you and I, we're a mess. And we're out at center court for everybody to see, but, but here's where it's different. Jesus doesn't wait. He stepped into your mess, and he stepped into mine, and he absorbs it. That's his history. That's his lineage. Would you receive what Jesus offers? Full absorption in your ass, reconnecting you with God. We're going to celebrate that now by, by sharing and communion together. So if you're a person who's leading a table, would you step up to those tables? Um, we don't believe this is the literal, becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus, but, but this is a memorial. This Jesus Christ stepped into our mess, and he, he offers us forgiveness. And so we're just asking if, if you've, uh, nah, you don't have to be a member 
of North Point is sharing this. We just ask that you be a follower of Jesus. If you're not sure, that's, um, please feel free to, to wait and observe. No need to be embarrassed. But if, if you're one of those people who, who believed in Jesus, accepted the forgiveness he's offered, if allowed him to absorb your mess, we invite you to partake with us. In a moment, I'll pray, and if these guys could go to this table right here, the, the ends go to that far table, uh, that would help us uh, move this along. But before we, we share in this time together, let me ask you, where, where are you? Are, are you in reality about the stuff that's going on in your life? Because we've all got stuff. We're all a mess, okay? We're, we're all on equal ground here. And Jesus said, I, I, I'm big enough. I can absorb your mess. Will you allow him to do that? Step into your life, absorb your mess, and reconnect you with God. Let me pray for us, and then we can share in this time together. So, Lord, we're grateful that um, Jesus does have a, a lineage of people who, who are a mess. And thank you that um, um, that doesn't, doesn't shock him, doesn't, doesn't stop him. He willingly steps into that. Uh, we celebrate this Jesus now. We remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed that we could be clean. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.